Tom Brady, and he's still succeeding at it. He can't run to from a koala bear. He's so slow. So it's just welcome to the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast has been created not to dwell and overevaluate what has already happened in the sports world, but to predict and to forecast what has yet to come. From game picks to draft picks, and from trades to free agent signings, we will let you know what happens before it happens. Your hosts, Nick and Nate, will evaluate, study, and understand sports patterns, tendencies, and nuances to better prepare you on what to expect. Just like Weatherman, but way more accurate. So if you like to pick games or you simply just want to be in the know before anybody else, you are in the right place. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? This is the Sports Forecasters Podcast, uh, Nick and Nate, and we have a third person today. We have our first guest, Greg McCullough, and he is from not Louisville, but Louisville. You have to say with a mumble. Kentucky and like you have marbles in your mouth Louisville Kentucky and he is not only our first guest but he won our NFL draft challenge he didn't only win it he destroyed us he destroyed the uh, the other competitor he destroyed Nick and I and it was a very impressive run that he did and um, and so first Greg uh, before we, we we jump into that let's have everyone you know, get to know who you are. Give us a quick 30-second elevator speech of Greg McCullough. Sure. Um, I'm Greg. I am a physical therapist located in Louisville, Kentucky, which you do have to mumble out to get it correct. Born and raised in Ohio, huge Ohio State sports fan, big-time college football fan. So it was fun to get into this challenge and kind of see if I could beat the experts. So I'm excited to talk about how how dominant I was over the course of 12 picks. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you, Greg. So first off, before we... Um, go back and forth. We just, I'll just give the audience a quick recap of how, how well you did. He, he nailed the first eight picks exactly team and player. And then four of the next five, he was just one spot away from getting the pick, right? So I know there were some trades that had happened there. So it maybe messed with your, your picks a little bit, but you were just for the next five, you're just one spot away and you got uh, 46 points out of possible 60. And to put that in perspective, I got 35 out of 60. Nick got 39 out of 60. AJ Swanson, our other competitor, got 37, you know, out of out of 60. So tell everybody, like, I mean, what did you do beforehand? Did you put a lot of research in? Did you study? I mean, how did you how did you guess these? So this was probably the most unprepared I've ever been to do like a, a mock draft like this. Like this was the year I watched probably from start to finish the least college football of, of any year just for a variety of reasons. So as I'm getting into it, I, I had like, okay, I know Trevor Lawrence is going one, and there's a lot of talk about who could be two, three, four, five. So I looked at a couple of mock drafts, like an ESPN one, a Yahoo one, and just like started to kind of get an idea. And then I thought, okay, NFL teams don't always do what everyone thinks they should do. So if, if it's going to get goofy, it's going to get goofy early, and I'm just going to roll that and see. I was either going to be real hot or way off and ended up just being real hot. So one of these picks, real quick, and then I'll let Nick jump in here after you answer uh, answer this question. Pick number three, San Francisco. I felt like that's that was the most um, mysterious pick. Um, Nick and I both end up going with Mac Jones there, but you picked Trey Lance. You and AJ did, but uh, tell us why why Trey Lance and not yeah. any of the not Fields or any of the other quarterbacks. 
Sure. So it, it went against my gut because I, I think, and we can talk about this as we go, but I think Justin Fields is the clear QB2 in this draft. So as I, I figured all the chatter was Jaguars taking Lawrence 1, Wilson 2 to the Jets. What's going to happen at 3? And if you're like, from a contest standpoint, I'm like, well, everyone's saying Mac Jones, but I heard just a little bit Trey Lance could go 3. So from a contest standpoint, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick Trey Lance and this is where I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose this contest. But then in thinking about it after – everyone says Kyle Shanahan for the 49ers is this offensive genius. And so if he is the offensive genius, he can develop these guys. And for whatever reason, they're out on fields. Why don't you take Lance? He's, he's got tools that you like. He may not be as ready day one as Mac Jones, but he's got a lot of tools and a lot of traits that if Kyle Shanahan can develop that, he could be a, a really good pick at three. So um, I, you know, for the, to win a contest and just thinking about it realistically, um, he could sit behind Garoppolo for, six weeks or a full year kind of learn the system and let, get coached up by Shanahan in that offense and then step in later in year one or into year two and really hit the ground running. So um, mm-hmm. I do actually like that pick for them. First off, Greg, congratulations on uh, the great picking you had going on. So my question for you is what was the surprise out of the 12 picks? I know you nailed eight of them, so not too much <laughs> drama for you, but what movement did you see out of those top 12 picks that you were surprised to see? I, I wasn't surprised to see Fields fall, um, but I didn't really necessarily expect any trades. I think there was a, a clear drop-off in talent level from like the top half of the draft to the bottom. And the bottom, in my opinion, not that I'm an expert, but I feel like there are some reaches in the bottom half of the first round. So um, I think just trying to get, get the top half, I'm like, I see, I see the talent here. Um, and what order can I put this in? So the biggest surprise was, I think, the Bears The Bears trading up. That, that kind of threw me off, but I like that pick for them. So one of the trends I saw in this draft, Greg, and I kind of want your in, uh, your input here, and, and I'm curious to see what you think about this. We saw a lot of college wide receivers get matched up with their college quarterbacks. So Jamar Chase went to Cincy to go with Jer- Joe Burrow, uh, Devontae Smith to Philly with Jalen Hurts, Jalen Waddle to go to Miami with Tua, and then – not a wide receiver, but Urban Meyer in Jacksonville ended up picking ETN with the second first round pick to match up with Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. So Mike, I I was telling Nick this. So I had predicted all of not the ETN one, but the three wide receivers going because I had thought that you know what I, I I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna guess this is a trend starting this year and moving forward. Um, is this something you think is this maybe a, a, a just kind of a one time thing, or do you think? NFL coaches are going to start maybe trying to implement bringing college teammates and drafting them onto the young quarterbacks teams. Sure. Um, in this draft, it made a lot of sense because there are some really high level wide receivers that were going to go high in these teams that have these young quarterbacks um, need the best receiver. So it makes sense if you're, if you're kind of split, like, do I want Chase, Waddle, or Smith? Like the Bengals took Chase because he has that connection with Burrow from their time at LSU. I, I think it could be an isolated incident just because like these teams one year produced a really good quarterback that was taken high in the draft. And the next year they have a, a, a stud wide receiver coming out that they already have that chemistry. They've, they've played together for at least three years, except in the case of Burrow since he was a transfer. So it does make sense for this draft. I just don't know if it's necessarily long term because then you're banking on, okay, we've got a stud quarterback then we want to get his receiver. And that's not always the case unless it's Alabama or Ohio state or LSU or teams like that. 
And so my follow-up question to that is, I know the quarterbacks were the big talk of the town, the big toast, the thing that everyone always looks at, especially if your franchise is the one in position or looking to upgrade that position. But my question, I don't really want to focus on that as much, but I want to get your take. Out of these wide receivers that went in the first round, which one do you think will have uh, not necessarily the best uh, line, but the biggest impact for their team this upcoming season? Um, I really like what the Dolphins are doing. Um, and they kind of needed – they have some good receiving talent, and they needed a guy that can kind of play more in the slot and get open on some more underneath routes uh, opposite of maybe Gusecki at tight end. So I really like that Waddle pick for them. He is explosive. He is, he is so quick. He's so good in his routes. Um, so I think year one, he's going to be the one with the, with the biggest impact right away. Trying to not be biased here as a Dolphins <laughs> fan, but – I, I agree simply because of the fact of what I just said earlier, that question I asked earlier and just seeing Tua last year, just he had signs of like this amazing play, but then it's like he played scared at times. And I think he, you're going to see him benefit more than anybody of having that receiver that he's familiar with on his team. And as a result, I think the production that Waddle will, give will be a lot more than uh um maybe a chase or a, um a, a smith in in philadelphia because i i know burrow and t higgins i think that's who it is and since he really made a really good connection in chemistry his first first season and so um he, he'll probably want to continue that but um yeah i i do agree with that and um, i i want to talk about this justin fields to chicago a bit. i want to break this down so you mentioned that you think he is the second best quarterback talent wise in this class. Why do you like him in Chicago specifically? And what do you think his career will look like in Chicago? Um, I think it's a good situation for him to step into because they have some pieces. I like their defense. They have, if they can hold on to Allen Robinson, I like him. Um, They have a pretty decent offensive line. So it's, it's a situation initially they're picking 20th in the draft and they were a playoff contender up to the end. So they have a decent team. They just need an upgraded quarterback. And even with, I, I, I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is good. Like I, I've watched him play and I'm just not impressed. So if they, they have this good situation and they can get a guy that I think from day one is more talented than Mitchell Trubisky was or ever will be. Um, if he can get, learn a system and get acclimated, I think he will be really good from day one. And then I like the situation he can get into where he has a really good defense on the other side of the ball. He won't have to throw for 300 yards and run for 50 to be competitive. They're, they're going to play in some close games. It's going to be tight, but he won't necessarily be expected to carry the team from day one. And I think if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play in Green Bay, that makes that division way easier up there too. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point with him being saying he wants out. I do think like the, the North is – the Vikings are decent. The Lions I don't think are going to be much this year, so – if, if Rodgers is out in Green Bay, that thing's wide open. So I like the, mm-hmm. the situation Fields is in. I was just going to piggyback on that, saying I, I like your guys' analysis. The one thing that scares me about Chicago, though, is the moves they made for cost-cutting measures. Did they cut too much when they started moving some pieces out when yeah. they were making those shifts? That's the thing that worries me about them because the Vikings seem to stay pretty well on par with what they had and look like they went to upgrade in some spots. So I... I do believe it will be wide open and Chicago seems to put together a good game plan to keep themselves in the games. Like you mentioned, uh, you had horn ahead of Sertan. What, what gave, 
what made you feel like Horn was the top cornerback or defensive back to go in this draft? Yeah. Um, so I was listening to, to a different podcast kind of talking about just overall prospects. And they would name a few prospects from each conference and talk about, okay, what, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this prospect? And they mentioned that in, in consecutive games, J.C. Horn covered, I think it was Elijah Moore, Kyle Pitts, and Devontae Smith in some order. And, and a lot of times today in both college and the NFL, you, you have a corner and they just play on one side of the field, either on the wide side or on the boundary side. And for J.C. Horn, he was following the best receiver three weeks in a row, like three guys that got drafted higher excellent players. And he was saying, no, I'm going to take that guy. I'm going to try to lock him up. Um, so I, I, I think that attitude that he had, if you look at measurables, measurables being somewhat similar between Horn and Sertan, it was the, I want, to, I want to take on the best player on the other side, not just I'm going to take half the field. Um, that's, a, that's a mentality thing that you can't teach, and I think that kind of slid him at least in my eyes and, and, and Panthers' eyes as well, kind of above Sertan and some of the other defensive backs in this draft. Going back to Ohio State here, um, Urban Meyer in the NFL, uh, we've, we've had Pete Carroll jump up. He had an NFL scent, went to college, came back, and won a Super Bowl. We got the Carolina coach, second year. I, I, I feel like there's not many college coaches in the NFL. So Urban spending his entire career in college um, how do you suspect that his success that he has had as a collegiate coach will transfer to the professional level? Um, that, that's a really good question. I, I don't, I honestly don't know. I, I, I think, I think he's an excellent coach that much as a parent, but you're so used to coaching 18 to 22 year olds and there's, you can instill a level of discipline in that. Whereas when you get in the NFL now, it's grown men that, you know, the discipline looks different. The, the behaviors around practice look different. Um, so I'm interested to see how he adjusts to that. Obviously, his ability to coach football is excellent. I think it's going to be more of the, the on the sideline and off the field stuff that as he learns how to navigate it will determine if he's a successful coach. Um, also, schematically, like when he was at Ohio State and at Florida before that, and even back to his Bowling Green days, he runs the quarterback a lot, and I don't think that's something you want to do in the NFL, especially with Trevor Lawrence being your top pick. He's mobile, but you don't want him taking those hits. So I'm interested to see from an offensive standpoint what those quarterback powers that he called so much with JT Barrett, mm -hmm. Ohio State, or Tim Tebow at Florida, what does that look like in the Jaguars' offense? How does he modify mm -hmm. his scheme? One thing I, I think that will play in his favor, I feel like the college game, the professional game, that gap of how they're played is getting closer and closer. Um, and I think that was why one of the reasons why college coaches jumping up to the professional level like 10 plus years ago just really never worked because the college game was just completely different than the professional game. It was that was when you're doing five wide and, and the professional game was more of still the, the pocket passers under center. Right. But but the last 10, five to 10 years, I feel like the professional game has has embraced more of the athletic quarterback always shot uh, you know in the shotgun formation not under center and and so i i think that plays in urban meyer's favor the fact that the game the, the game has changed now on the professional level yeah and, and that's a good point and I, I i obviously like i said he knows how to coach football and, and like you said now that it's more similar to college than how it was there is a maybe a higher chance for him to succeed i'm really interested to see what it looks like i i really like what he does as a coach so it'll be a fun a fun experience so, uh, well, maybe, uh, Nick, one last question, and then we got a couple uh, predictions, Greg, uh, for you uh, regarding this upcoming NFL season. Sure. 
Oh, well, my last question would be along the lines of not so much in the first round, but what were your thoughts on the teams who took quarterbacks in the later rounds, notably the Houston Texans and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Do these players see time within this these next two seasons, or is it kind of on the line? Um, the Texans one, that's, that's, a, that's a whole can of worms that I have not read enough about to really give an opinion on. Um, I, I think with them drafting a quarterback in the later rounds, their hope is probably that Watson gets gets – cleared of some of these charges or that kind of kind of dies away the Buccaneers one is an interesting one they obviously have a ton of weapons there so how Brady said he can continue to play um for a while yet but I think that's a that's a good pick because you can see his arm talent and you you're expecting him to have a year or two to kind of sit behind Brady and learn and if they retain some of those weapons they brought in since Brady's been there I think he could be successful there so I do like that pick I don't think he will be on the field early Houston could be a different situation but um, just kind of have to see how the Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. thing plays out. And Cal Trust could always be a trading piece in a couple of years, just kind of like the Jimmy Garoppolo in New England. Uh, yeah. You know, a talented quarterback with Tylee upon in the league back up to Brady. So four <laughs> predictions. Um, sure. We'll start with this. Um, we'll start with the quarterbacks. Now, I know you you're, you have opinion on maybe the most talented quarterbacks drafted, but now that you know where they've landed from one through five, just the first round quarterbacks. Sure. Um, maybe start at five, go up to one. Who do you think will have will end up? You know, fifteen years from now, who will end up be having the most successful NFL career? Sure. So, um, starting at five for for five being least successful, um, I don't like the Zach Wilson pick. I think he's a good player. I think that's a bad situation where the expectations will be too high from the jump, and I think we might just see Sam Darnold two point So he's definitely my five. Um. And then I think the other four actually like the situations they landed in. So then it's kind of a, a splitting hairs thing. Um, give me, give me Mac Jones at four. I think that's the right situation for him. Um, he just, and he processes very quickly and he has a nice quick release. He just doesn't have the arm strength that maybe the other quarterbacks have. Um, three, give me Trey Lance kind of in the middle. He's one that he can end up at five. He can end up at one. He's got all the physical tools. Everyone said he interviewed very well. So he's got the mental stuff as well. He just hasn't put it together yet. And he hasn't played the same level of competition as the other quarterback. So I'm really interested to see how he pans out. But for, for this exercise, I'll put him, I think, at three. I think he will have a, a good long NFL career. I just don't know if he'll be a superstar that you would expect from the third overall pick. Um, then one and two, I think Lawrence and Fields, in my opinion, are, are kind of more of a 1A and 1B. I do think Lawrence is better, but it's close. So give me Lawrence actually for second best, just based on situation. He, when you're drafted first overall, you know you're walking into a, a talent-depleted roster. So he's going he's gonna to have a lot on his shoulders from day one, whereas Fields, like I said earlier, like he's in a good situation. They have a, they have a decent to solid roster. Um, I think if you if you look at wins and statistics is how you view these quarterbacks down the road. I think he will have the best career just based on the situation he was able to find himself in. Yeah, I think your point on Trey Lance is huge. I, I this Trey Lance Jimmy Garoppolo situation reminds me of the Patrick Mahomes Alex Smith situation in Kansas City about four or five years ago. Yeah. So it's like I could see Trey Lance being a potentially a Patrick Mahomes too. So yeah. Um, all right, next prediction. Who's going to win Rookie of the Year? Um, rookie of the Year, let me take – I want to say Panay Sewell, but they never give that award to Lineman. I do think <laughs> he's, he's the best player 
um, in this class. So give me Micah Parsons on the Cowboys. I think he's a, he's a super talented player. Um, the Cowboys needed help at linebacker. Their, their current staff, like you're, you're hoping that Smith can Vander Esch can stay healthy, but they just announced they're not picking up Vander Esch's fifth year option after the season. So maybe there's some issues there. So I think Micah Parsons could step in day one and really put up some, some big numbers mm-hmm. for the Cowboys. Do you have an offensive rookie of the year? Um, I think I think it will go to Fields. Just like I said, it's a, it's an excellent situation for him. Um, but I, I keep your eye on Kyle Pitts. I also really like the Falcons picking him up. I couldn't I couldn't decide if they were going to go developmental quarterback and hope you bring someone along for when Ryan retires, or do you go get a playmaker now? Um, and with having uh, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley on the outside, and you put. Um, Kyle Pitts in the middle. I think that's a really good situation where he might not have a ton of catches, but he's going to have a lot of highlights and I think a lot of red zone targets. So mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good fit for him. Gotcha. All right. Uh, before we get to our final one, I got one other prediction. Where will Aaron Rodgers play next football season? <laughs> um, give me the Packers. I think it's, I think it's all a smoke screen right now. So I think he's going to stay. I don't, I, I think they will do something either with a trade or a promise made about what they might do next offseason. I think he's going to end up on the Packers still. I would agree with you, but the fact that he has a Hollywood fiance and he just hosted Jeopardy, he's just like, if, if it wasn't for you those things, out? I would agree. But be, because he's been so disgruntled with them and he, it, he seems to be loving his life right now outside of football, that is completely opposite of Green Bay, Wisconsin. I just don't think there's any way he's back. I think he'll retire if they don't if, trade him. If they try that, so. that'd be that'd be pretty drastic. But who knows? I mean, it's 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 been kind of this one of these things since the draft started on Thursday that's just kind of blown up. And so we'll see. I, I think it's a smoke screen. I think he'll still yeah. be in Green Bay, but I'm I'm interested to see how that one plays out. Quarterbacks only last 16 years in Green Bay. Sounds like <laughs> a star last 16 years. Favre lasted 16 years, and uh, he just finished his 16th year. So. It just, it's all, it all makes sense. All right. <laughs> so that all being said, I'm really curious about this. So what is your way too early Super Bowl prediction? I'm going to take the Chiefs for the AFC. I really like what they did this offseason and rebuilding their offensive line on a budget. That was a, a clear weak point for them in last year's Super Bowl. Um, so I really like what they did there. And I think there's no reason to doubt they'll come out of the AFC again if everyone can stay healthy. On the NFC side, give me the Los Angeles Rams. So I, I, I think McVeigh is as smart as everyone claims he is. And now that he has Stafford in there instead of Jared Goff, I like that for them. They, they have a roster built for win now as they keep trading away all of their first-round picks. So I think getting Stafford in there with McVeigh, I think they're going to put up some highlights on offense. And I, I, I mean, anytime you have Aaron Donald on defense, you should have a solid defense. So I'm excited for, for the Rams. I think we're going to get Rams Chiefs next year. Nick, do you want to remind the audience your picks? My picks for the way too early Super Bowl predictions, I went with the Kansas City Chiefs, and then I meandered my way to saying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just simply because I wasn't seeing a lot. They brought everyone back, so it was hard for me to go against them, barring any major injuries. So for me, I, I've been actually back. I'm ultimately going with the Bucks in the NFC, but I have considered the Rams, Greg. Um I love the situation, so I'm going to keep my eye on that. But I, right now, I can't because the Bucks have brought everybody back. It's, it's just hard for me to pick against them. 
my AFC team is the Cleveland Browns right now. So we'll see how that goes. I I'm the biggest Browns hater. So the fact that I'm picking them is shows how much I've been impressed the last, you know, 365 days of the Cleveland Browns. I'm, I really like the direction they're going. So anyways, with that all being said, we thank you, Greg, so much for being on this show. Um, as our first guest, uh, Hopefully we can we can bring you on some other time and hopefully we can keep having guests on because the less talk that uh, that we do, the better. <laughs> so um, but uh, we we're, we always love asking questions because uh, obviously by our name, the sports forecasters, we, we talk about what has yet to come. So we appreciate your input and your expertise and congrats again on completely destroying the <laughs> NFL draft challenge. And uh, we wish you the best. All right. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Absolutely. Well, Nick, that was very awesome to have our first guest on this show. Um, we thank Greg once again for joining us. And um, once, we, we hope we can have more people on the show. So uh, we'll continue to have our competitions. And um, like I said, if you, if you guys beat us, you're on the show and you can, you can brag to the whole world what, why you're so smart at sports. <laughs> so with that all being said, uh, we do have another competition that Nick and I did. We did the entire first round of the NFL draft, right? So we the, the first 12 picks were with the audience, but Nick and I, you know, we're doing our own competition, um, which, by the way, I am up 2-1 to one so far until after this draft, Nick tightened me up 2-2 two, two because he beats me in the NFL draft challenge. He won 59-55. to 55. Uh, So, Nick, here's your time to shine. What? Tell me what... Uh, how did you how did you pull away here and, and 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 sneak past me to win this challenge? Really, it came down to the Arizona picking Colin, the linebacker Collins out of Tulsa, and then the Najee Harris one. Those were the ones that kind of propelled it. Uh, you hit on the last pick of the draft, Tryon, and that really made it close. Fortunately, Baltimore did go with the edge rusher Owen. Nate and I were definitely texting back and forth, so. And it, it was definitely more enjoy one of the more enjoyable drafts to watch just because we could have that back and forth. And one thing I noticed from our initial mocks, you had uh, quite a few more receivers going. And I had quite a few more defensive backs going in the first round. And they kind of waited on those. They Those players ended up being selected, but a lot of them went more so in the second round. That was the big thing I took from looking at that draft. What do you see, Nathan? Yeah, you're right. I had a lot of receivers going. I I remember I texted you. I said the the between 2029, 20, I got four receivers going. You know that would that was, but I think two went. So it's like uh, they all went in the second round, like the Elijah Moores and the you know kind of went. There was a lot of surprise picks. I am um, the Saints pick, the the edge rusher from uh, Houston was a bit of a surprise, and I Turner. I wasn't expecting that. Raiders pick Leatherwood, uh, 16th overall. That that seemed really high for him. So, uh, a couple surprise picks there. Um, I but it really came down to the running backs. I, I, I knew Pittsburgh was going to pick a running back. It was but was it Etienne or was it Najee? I, in my mind, I'm thinking I, my gut wanted, my heart wanted to say Najee. My head said Etienne because I just I saw Najee Harris and he looked like a Pittsburgh Steeler. But the ETN, I was thinking Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell. Like he was more of a Le'Veon Bell type of a, of a back. And so I thought that just fit the Steelers system more. And since, you know, Mike Toblin drafted Le'Veon Bell, that's why I ended up going with ETN. But, you know, I lost by four points. If I would have picked Najee Harris, I would have got five points there and I would have won 60 to 59. So that was the difference was that. It was this back and forth between ETN and Najee Harris. And 
Uh, I picked the wrong one, but you picked the right one. So uh, that was the game changer right there. But man, if if I would have picked Najee Harris, I would have been down four going into that last pick, and then try on getting picked by Buccaneers. Oh man, that would have been that, that I would have went crazy there to win it on that last pick. But um, but you want fair square, so we're tied two to two regarding our challenges between the two of us this season. So we'll continue that, and we'll see we'll see who ends up on top at the end of the season. So it's been a lot of fun. All right, so we asked Greg a couple of questions, some predictions, but now we're going to ask ourselves these things. So, first of all, rank your, you know, not talent-wise, Nick, but who do you think is going to have the most successful football career in the NFL? When we look at the NFL career, like Greg alluded to, is what situation did these quarterbacks go into? And I don't like piggybacking off what Greg said, not because he said the wrong thing, just because I know people like to hear diversity, but I have to go with Zach Wilson, honestly, for the longevity of the career. Even though the Jets have had some spark there those last three games of the season, they have a new coach who has a new philosophy. Is it going to be the right situation? Is it going to be the right philosophy? I hope so. Um, Just for the fact of you never want to see these new highly sought after talents. So I'm going to go with Zach Wilson as my fifth quarterback in career terms, especially if he stays with the Jets. If he ends up moving on from the Jets, obviously that kind of changes everything. But based on them staying with the franchise they're with, I'm going to say number five, Zach Wilson. How about you, Nathan? Yeah, I I probably will agree. I, I was listening to uh, a show this morning, and there's actually a surprising amount of first-time head coaches and quarterbacks that have made the playoffs right away but there's also a lot that haven't but it was just kind of surprising how many that have and so I think there's a there's definitely a chance there because you just have no idea maybe Sela's the next great coach in this league you know we, we don't know what he can do yeah, so it's hard to predict, but because there's so much unknown, because of the dysfunction, the historical dysfunction in the Jets the last ten years, because we got a, a Utah guy going into the biggest stage in the NFL. Yeah, I have to agree. Zach Wilson probably has um, the steepest hill to climb. Who do you have at four? Four. This is where we start to deviate. Yes, the situations or in the franchises may be in a better state for some of these teams, but Mac Jones is another one I kind of waffle about mostly because of his talent. Trevor Lawrence's situation, Mac Jones is the overall talent that he has. And so I'm ultimately going to side with the fact that talent will rise and the franchise will back him up. Not that New England doesn't back up their players, but Mac Jones, because of his talent ceiling, I'm going to put him in the number four slot. Yeah, this is where I start to disagree from everybody. I'm not as high on a specific quarterback that I would say Greg was super high on. Um, and I actually don't like the situation he's in because historically this franchise has done terrible with quarterbacks. I think Justin Fields is four. And uh, I think he will have maybe like uh, early success simply because people are going to want him and he's riding this wave of like feelings. Like, you know, because it's like they've been really miserable quarterback. And so this is kind of like a a refresh for Chicago, but I don't think that lasts very long there. And I think he will struggle. I'm not sold on the Justin Fields um, as a quarterback. I know a lot of people are, I know that's a very unpopular opinion. I'm just simply basing off what I saw at Ohio state. Um, It's just hard for me to pick 
Ohio State and Alabama quarterbacks who have the best O-lines, the best receivers. They get to throw to wide open people and have forever forever to throw it. And so I just think ultimately the adversity um, and, the, and, the, and the speed of the game and the challenges that he's going to have to face, especially with a franchise that historically doesn't do well quarterbacks, he's number four on my list as having the most successful uh, career at quarterback. Who's your third? Quite honestly, for the reasons you just said, because of the history of Ohio State quarterbacks, I know I was hinting at Trevor Lawrence, but I think he'll be one of those talents that can, like Peyton Manning did with the Colts, I think he can have a similar trajectory. I don't know that he'll reach the number of wins that Peyton Manning did or anything of that sort. Obviously, that's why we crystal ball. But I'm going to go with Justin Fields from Chicago, just purely because of History is not on his side for Ohio State quarterbacks. That doesn't mean he can't break that mold. It just the last few have not been able to pan out in the NFL or had very short tenures as starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So, I mean, hopefully that changes, but I'm going Justin Fields for my third spot. Yeah, and for me, I'm going Mac Jones. We're going to flip-flop here. I think Mac is in the perfect situation. He would have been my five if he went anywhere else besides New England. But because he's in New England, I have him jumping both Wilson and Fields. Um, I th- I honestly feel like I could put him up higher, but I feel like since I was going to put him at five, three's already a stretch. Uh, I, I don't see he, – he's going to have to screw it up himself. I mean, if he's really not that good, then, yeah, it's not going to work. Um, what I fear about him, does he have like that, that edge that he needs to be a new England Patriot? Because you can't, you can't just go into new England and just like, you know, just expect things to be given to you. He's got to work for it. And Brady was a, a huge example for that. And he just had this winning mentality. And does Mac Jones have that? I don't know. I don't know. But if he does, this is going to work in new England and it could work for a long time. And because he, you don't have to do much, right? I mean, Tom Brady, and he's still succeeding at it. He can't run to, from a koala bear. He's so slow. So it's just, and he takes so many sacks, but clearly he has other strengths that overcome those weaknesses. Um, and so I just think Mac Jones is in a system uh, with Josh McDaniels where those weaknesses can be limited and his strengths can be very, uh, um, can be used quite quite often to give him some success. And I think that's the perfect situation for him to squeeze the best out of him, you know, than any other franchise. All right. So we got two left. We both have are the same two quarterbacks left. So who do you have at two? For me, two really comes down to team situation. Jacksonville just has not had, again, kind of going back to what I said about Justin Fields. He comes from a university where pro quarterback situations have been the greatest for Ohio State. And this is where I try to make the split between Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, I believe, has supreme talent. He's very good. Um, Does he get A-pluses in everything? I don't believe so. But I believe he's the most talented quarterback in this particular draft. And maybe in the last few drafts, time will tell on that one. So for me, Trevor Lawrence is very talented. But I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence being number two simply because of his franchise that he's currently a part of. If that changes, then that changes the whole trajectory of where I think he'll be. But I just think inevitably Jacksonville has not shown that they're a franchise that keeps the band together, so to speak, or keeps things where the ship stays afloat. I they li- 
The ship take on water, start to sink a little, then they reboot. Who do you have, Nathan? Yeah, we agree here. I have Trevor Lawrence uh, simply because of he's in a non-football town. He has a rookie head coach that has never coached a one snap in the NFL. So it's just a big mystery to me. Kyle Shanahan has been to two Super Bowls. He's been a fantastic offensive coordinator. His dad's won Super Bowls. So, and you're with a, a team that's been to the Super Bowl two years ago and still has talent to be a Super Bowl winning team. And it's so I think Trey Lance is in a very much of a Patrick Mahomes situation where he'll sit for a year. They'll move out Jimmy G, maybe even mid-year they'll move him off, but definitely by the end of the year they'll move him off like they, Alex Smith was moved off in uh, Kansas City. And he's going to come in, and he's going to inherit a team that is ready to go, like that is stacked. So he's definitely going to have early success. And I think he'll ultimately have long-term su- success because I think that uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to waste a lot of years in Jacksonville personally. And – I just don't see Jacksonville becoming a threat in uh, the NFL. Uh, and so unless they move to a different city and to a bigger fan base and a bigger uh, a bigger city or, or wherever. But I, there's just too much unknown for me there. And I see him struggling early in his career, ultimately getting one, maybe two rings. But I see Trey Lance having – he's set up the best um, to come in and just – blow the top off and it could win multiple rings in this league. So um, I think we agree there. If you obviously you have Trey Lance at one, um, if you have anything, anything to add there. Um, really? I alluded to it. San Francisco 49ers have been a franchise. Yeah. But I felt like they found their footing. But um, since Singletary took over, he started getting the team back on track with that precipice being defense and coaches have taken over since have to build talent and just keep building it up where you're in you're out their contenders they may not be the super bowl contenders but they are contenders where jacksonville they had one season like i said four or five years ago and since then they've just been a shell of themselves and really been leasing out their parts getting rid of them as they go so yeah just based on the franchise my my concern for trevor lawrence is i hope it doesn't end up being an Andrew Luck type situation where he takes a lot of hits early on and that career is severely shortened compared to what it could have been. Now, I'm not saying that Indianapolis doing things, but they didn't have a lot of things in place to help protect him early on where Trey Lance has that. So that gives him the potential for a longer career. All right. So let's move on to rookie of the year. Who do you have um, winning rookie of the year this year? Rookie of the year is typically won by an offensive player, the rookie of the year. And obviously they have the defensive rookie of the year to kind of make up for that. But the rookie of the year is typically an offensive award. And if these quarterbacks get out and see a significant time, obviously they'll have a strong foothold to get them towards the lead. Doesn't mean their stat line will agree with that. So quarterbacks typically try to get the favorable nod, just like league MVP. But this year, I don't think it will go to one of those quarterbacks. I think. Someone else is going to stand out. He's going into a system that already has great parts. It's between two people for me, but I think how touted he was one of the most touted picks beyond the quarterbacks. He's the one I kept hearing about. I'm going to go with Kyle Pitts. I think Kyle Pitts being in Atlanta is a great system as long as Matt Ryan stays healthy. I think he's going to get him the ball, and he's just going to put up good numbers to get him that 
award. Yeah. I very strong pick. Uh the since 2015 it's been quarterbacks and running backs. Uh three quarterbacks, three running backs, one rookie of the year. It wasn't since Odell won it in 2014 as as a as a wide receiver, but even before that it was been quarterbacks and running backs. Um Justin Jefferson had a phenomenal year in Minnesota, over a thousand yards, and still didn't win Rookie of the Year. Went to Justin Herbert. I feel it's hard for a receiver to to win this award. And so, look, looking at quarterbacks and running backs, um, you look at Najee Harris picked for the Steelers. You look at Travis Etienne. Uh, you know. With Travis Etienne playing with another rookie, it's going to be hard for me to pick against the quarterback that he's playing with. Uh, I think Najee could win it, uh, but typically these running backs are picked way higher than what Najee was. They felt like the running back class dropped a lot this year, so I think it's going to be hard. So I'm going to ultimately stick with the quarterback. And I know this is kind of the obvious cliche pick, but I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, in all honesty, the number one overall picks the last two years should have won the rookie of the year. Kyler Murray won in 2019, number one overall pick. The next year, it should have been, it would have been Joe Burrow, but he got hurt. So by default, went to Justin Herbert. So I'm going to think that trend's going to continue. And I, and I have the number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, winning it. If he stays healthy, I think he's going to play in a very unique offensive system that is going to be different. I think he's. What's very advantageous of him, he's going to take advantage of a weak division. Obviously, Houston is going to be the worst team in the league next year. Um, I think the Titans are trending the wrong way. Their defense really, really um, slowed down last year, and I, I didn't like their drafting this year, and I they don't do anything in free agency. So I think they're going to dip as well. And the Colts, they do have a, a pretty good defense. Um but I think there's question marks with kind of their new quarterback and everything there. So I, I think the AFC South is weak, which is gives Trevor Lawrence, you know, six games to really put up some good stats um, there. So, and, and historically speaking, Kyler Murray won it in 2019. Joe Burrow would have won if he didn't get hurt in 2020. So number one overall pick, I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence um, and uh, winning the rookie of the year. So, Last question, because we already did our Super Bowl picks. Where's Aaron Rodgers playing next year? When you look at it, the last few seasons, what has Green Bay done to help to make him feel confident with what they're doing? Now, they are following their formula of how they approach their franchise. So, I mean, they're staying on their course. And Green Bay is just a unique situation. Um, I feel like something like this was going to inevitably happen the more Rodgers was in the career of someone being unhappy and either Green Bay was going to cave or Rodgers was going to start to put his foot down. And that's where we're at here with him wanting to put his foot down. Ultimately, I think it's just too much money to try to move him. That doesn't mean I couldn't see it happening. I know Denver is a franchise in the past that has made moves to get what they want. They're not afraid to. And I'm, and I told, and we said this on the the draft live cast. Uh, Las Vegas kind of one of my dark horses to make a move for it. John Gruden is another individual that strikes me as he's not afraid to make moves to put his franchise or his team in a situation to be a contender and a winner. So 
For me, ultimately, though, I think he ends up staying with Green Bay. I just think there's just too much money to move, and no one wants that much dead cap against them. So Green Bay will either call his bluff and see if he sits or keep him on the roster. So I'm going with he stays on the Green Bay roster with him sitting or not. I'm not completely sold, but like Greg said, or like you alluded to, excuse me, about the Hollywood lifestyle, I just... Uh, that that does tend to make you wonder how much he is committed to it. So I'm going to say he's going to be a Green Bay Packers uniform. What do you have, Nathan? Yeah, I I'd said he wasn't going to play. Uh, I don't think he's going to play for Green Bay uh, simply because he, I mean he's been playing this game not just this year. He's been playing this game for years, and he's been disgruntled. But I think what really turns the corner here is that he found a life outside of football. Um, he really enjoyed Jeopardy. He had a lot of high ratings. He, I, he probably thinks he's going to get that job and he, he's finally in a serious relationship with someone in Hollywood. And, and so he's, I think for the first time, he's truly discovering himself outside of football and outside of green Bay. And he's just realizing like, I think he's, I think he's even content of retiring at this point. It's like, even if I'm done, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to win anymore in Green Bay. It's impossible. I, I'm the MVP. I, I got first in every category, and we still come up short. And it's like, I can't play any better. The GM's not giving me any help. So it's like, if they're going to force me to play, I'm going to be unhappy. So why not just retire and be happy, live out in California, and host Jeopardy, and, and be with my fiance, Right? Be happy. You're going to be a first battle Hall of Famer anyways, regardless. So, or get traded to a team that he wants to be on and be happy playing football and be happy living his other life. So, to me, I feel like I he's so content on retiring. And my, I mean, I'm not, obviously I don't know. I feel like he would be based off his other life choices and decisions that, hey, if they want to, if they're not going to trade me, I'm done. I retire. Good luck, Green Bay. And and he'll live his life. Um, but I think he does get traded and he goes to the Denver Broncos. We'll just keep it at that. So uh, with that being said, we're going to move on to a little bit of basketball. I know we've been talking a lot of football. Uh, but we have a playing tournament coming up here in a little over a week. Uh, the NBA playing tournament starts uh, May 18th, I believe. And, and, then, the, and then the playoff starts. On May 22nd. So Nick and I, we're going to give you guys our predictions, both in the East and the West, who we think are going to be seed seven through 10 of each respective conference. So let's just start out East. Nick, who do you have seven, eight, nine, and 10? Well, the East is an interesting conference. It's always been one that's much maligned. I do feel like there's more separation towards the top of the two seeds we're trying to pick as opposed to the bottom. This one honestly feels a little more settled. The Miami Heat's currently at the sixth seed at the time of this recording with the Boston Celtics, Charlotte Hornets, Indian Pacers, Washington Wizards, and the first team looking on the on the outside looking in, I should say, would be the Toronto Raptors. I'm going to have it to where Miami drops to the seventh seed because I think Boston will string it together here this, these last few weeks. So I have Miami dropping to be the seventh seed Charlotte stays par with being the eighth seed. Indiana and Washington hold on. Uh, Washington will, I feel like, jump over Indiana when it comes to it. Uh, Russell Westbrook has just been 
playing very well as of late. I feel like that momentum will carry them and just push them slightly past the Indiana Pacers. So really the only shuffling I have is it'll be Miami Heat, the seventh seed, Charlotte Hornets, the eighth seed. Then it'll be the Wizards, the ninth seed, and then the Pacers, the tenth seed. What do you have, Nathan? Yeah, so I I mean, four through seven, right, is pretty close. I think there's two and a half games split those three up in the east. Um, New York is playing lights out, so I don't I don't see them shying away from that fourth seed. So it brings me to okay, five, six, and seven. Atlanta, Boston, Miami. So they're all within a game. Um, you look at the remaining schedule. Atlanta has the easiest schedule remaining. Um, uh, they got the Pacers, they got the Wizards, they got the Magic, and they got the Rockets. <laughs> Uh, Boston has a pretty easy schedule, but here's where it's really going to come down to Boston and Miami still play two more times against each other, but they're at Boston. And on top of that, Boston has Chicago, Cleveland, and Minnesota, Miami. Like I said, has to go to Boston twice. They have to play Philly. They have to go to Milwaukee. So they have a really tough schedule ahead of them. So I do agree with you. I think Atlanta stays at five. Boston will stay at six. Miami will be at seven. Charlotte eight. And not to steal your thunder, but I do have Washington jumping the Indiana simply because Washington has been playing really well right now. And this is just a game of streaks. And right, I just think with the last half dozen games left of the season, Washington being a half game behind Indiana will be able to squeeze past them and ride that hot streak into this season. So I have Miami versus Indiana. Right. So I have Miami versus Charlotte and then Indiana and Washington um, will play both, but Washington is a nine and Indiana's a 10. So let's now jump to the West. Who do you have as your seven through 10? Nathan, since I went first for the Eastern, Conference, why don't we have you go first for the Western conference? Give us your thoughts and what you're seeing for the Western conference playing game tournament. Yeah. Uh, so, this one's very interesting because oh the West is so crazy right now with you got the injuries to the Lakers you have Portland trending the wrong way Golden State surging um, stuff playing lights out uh, and so it's this was really really uh, difficult to predict but I think that Dallas will stick at the five seed. I, I feel as if Portland will figure it out and jump up and get to six seed. I think Los Angeles will drop um, and become the seventh seed. Golden State will be the eighth seed. Now, Memphis, San Antonio, the New Orleans, uh, Pelicans, Sacramento. I think Sacramento's out. Gosh, the Pelicans are so talented. I just I feel like they could go on a crazy run and jump the Spurs. Um, but because that's a great Popovich-led team, it's just going to be hard for me to, to see that. So I, I, I just don't see much change. I have Spurs staying at 10. I have Grizzly staying at 9. I think Portland jumps up to 6. Lakers drop down to 7. Man, wouldn't that be a great matchup? 7 versus 8, uh, Lakers and Warriors as a playing tournament. I would love to see that. So um, I think that's all I'm going to go with. I think I'm going to have Lakers 7, Warriors 8, Grizzlies 9, Spurs 10. Uh, great picks. For me, like you said, it's very close five to honestly the tenth seed. You can include eleventh seed in this. Uh, injuries have played a huge part in where the Lakers have found themselves. LeBron James has went out saying he thinks the playing tournament's dumb, and whoever made it should be fired. 
like I said to Nathan off air about two months ago before all these injuries hit, I'm sure LeBron James didn't even get a second thought about it, thinking he was going to be a first, second seed, wouldn't even be in contention for this. However, I do think the Lakers do hold on and they keep themselves out of the play-in tournament. I think they string together just enough to keep themselves out of that situation because of Portland going the wrong way at this particular juncture. I think that helps them out. So because he gets a little help on the outside, it helps them stave off that dreaded play-in tournament scenario. So I don't have the Lakers going into the play-in tournament. I have them staying at the sixth seed. Um, Mine's kind of an anticlimactic in terms of maneuvering i think portland ends up holding on by the skin of their teeth the seventh seed but they'll play the golden state warriors who will bring it within a game i believe they will be seven and eight portland and then golden state and then memphis will stay put with san antonio the pelicans just down the road i just don't know if they're going to be able to string it together against the 76ers uh charlotte they could win they have the lakers at the end of the season and you know if there's a play-in game on the line, the Lakers are going to come out like they ha- like it is a playoff game to seal the deal, so to speak. So I have mine staying put where the standings are at, where Portland, Golden State, Memphis, and San Antonio are the last four in for the play-in tournament with Portland and Golden State playing each other for the 7-8 spot, taking on the winner of the Memphis-San Antonio series, or the loser of the Golden State-Portland would take on the winner of the Memphis San Antonio in a best of three series, essentially. So yeah, that will be coming to you starting May 18th. So uh, we're, we'll be excited for that and we'll see if our predictions uh, match up with the reality. So with that all being said, I mean, this was a great episode. A lot of, a lot of great things we had Greg on. So thanks again to Greg and talk some NBA. So always, always a lot of talk about in the sports world. Is it there, Nick? Oh, always. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Nathan Singer. I am Nick Alvarez. We thank Greg McCullough for coming on tonight. We have been the Sports Forecasters, and we'll see you next time.